Father God, thank you so much for uh, just giving us this <coughs> this community for this Sunday school class, for um, bringing us here, and, and especially today for your word and for speaking through it, God. And I pray that today, as we hear about what you do with your word, that it will cut <coughs> into our hearts and that we will develop a love for it, that we would see why you give us the scriptures, God. So open our hearts, open our minds, and I pray for clarity as I speak. Speak to us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you've got the handouts. I I did a little like strange printing thing where there is uh, some like I don't know like if y'all got if you got a special sheet. You got one side that's proper side, the other side's upside down. So if you if you notice that. But um, today we are going to talk about the Word of God in the life of the church. So I know it seems very kind of a mundane to talk about scriptures, but then. What I want to do today is I want to talk about what the like the, the power of God's word, and uh, we're going to talk about specifically the way that we view the scriptures. How does that shape how we do things at IGC? Why, why, why do we uh, preach the way that we do? Why do we teach in Sunday school the way that we do? And uh, so we'll look at what that is. So let me talk about uh, first off, it's the word of God. Um, the word, or the world, the universe was created. How was how was uh, everything in the universe created? We, we'll go back to Genesis one. What do you think? God spoke it. Yeah, God spoke it. God spoke the universe into existence. Everything we see in Genesis and on. This was. What we see here is um, that God spoke the universe into existence. And then we see throughout Scripture that God is constantly speaking things into existence. And what we see in Scripture is that the Word of God, God's speaking, is His power. God always accomplishes His purposes by speaking. So that's why there is such emphasis, especially in, uh, in in the Bible, of God speaking. And, you know, of, of all the things that, um, that, that we see uh, in church, maybe, um, some people are big on experience. Some people are big on, um, I, I feel this emotion. Uh, but for us, we want to focus on what God <coughs> says because this sets the uh, this sets the standard for how we think about everything. So, um, let's hit our first point here: the creative, vivifying power of the word. Do you guys know what vivifying means? Life giving, perfect. It, like when you guys, if you guys are, if you guys are into uh, medicine or whatever, when someone is revived, what does that mean? They're re-lifed. Life is brought back into them. So we see here. That what we see um, when we say vivifying is that life is given when God speaks his word. So we're going to just hit a few points of scripture that talk about um, what God does, how he gives life through the word. So, uh, Jeff, can I actually read First Peter 2, please? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called us out of darkness. You see that in bold. Um, this this recalls Genesis when God when there was nothing, when there's 
absolutely nothing. God spoke, and the universe came into existence. Here, uh, Paul, or in First Peter, it says that we were called out of darkness. We God spoke; He called us out; He beckoned us, and we came out of this darkness. We were brought to life. And here, Paul is talking about um, is talking about the church being being brought to life. The church is created because God calls us into the light. Okay. Um, Jazzy, Second Corinthians, please. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. All right, there we go again. It's uh, recalling this verse in First Peter. Uh, let light shine out of darkness. This is God speaking. Go ahead. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so how, how can mm-hmm. we know the gospel? How can we be brought back to life? What has God done? What did God do? He says here in Second Corinthians, it, God who said, and he would have this in quotes, this is what God, the words of God, let light shine out of darkness. God is saying, I want my sons and daughters to be brought to life. So I'm going to say something. There's something I'm going to say to bring them to life, to bring them into my family. So even, um, Ezekiel 12.28, can I have you read that, Tracy, please? Thus says the Lord God. None of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. All right. So the word of God, or God speaks his word, and there is a certainty here in Ezekiel where God says, whatever I say is going to happen, whatever I want to happen, and this comes out of my mouth, I'm, I, I'm communicating this, this is going to happen. There's a certainty to it. Karen, can I have you read um, Isaiah 55, please? For as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. All right, thanks. So here again is a certainty of whatever God says is going to happen. So this is... For me, especially for Pastor Michael, and who, whenever you guys hear preachers <coughs> preach, if they're gospel-centered, if they're Bible-believing, if they are God, Jesus-loving people who speak, uh, God's promise to them is these things that you say, if they are from Scripture, I'm going to do with it what I want to happen. So that means that, you know, like I, I feel like I'm still a um, developing preacher. Right? There are lots of times, actually most times, after a sermon, I'm like, oh my goodness, that was such a terrible sermon. What was I, like, I don't know what I'm doing. But the promise to me is that if I'm honoring God's word, despite my fumbling and despite the fact that, you know, sometimes I just don't speak well, God says, if you speak my word, something's going to happen. And it may not be immediately noticeable. It may happen months or years down the road. But I'm going to do something with my word. And let this be an encouragement to you guys as well. I know that you guys have non-Christian friends and you guys might share your faith with them. God says, if you honor what I say, I'm going to do something with that. My words will continue to do its work in its people. It will accomplish what I purpose. It shall not return to me empty. All right, um, Raymond, can I ask you to read uh, this from Ezekiel 37? Sure. Mind? Thanks. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, you shall live, and you, sh- and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in the your Lord, your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. All right, thank you. So if you guys are familiar with this, there's a in, in this uh, book of Ezekiel, there's this image that this prophet sees, and God is saying, like, do you see all this land? Do you see that these are dead people, that these are dry bones? Like, if you guys have ever seen, like, there's there's a skeleton in the science room. If you see if you've seen that, or if you've ever seen mass graveyards and just like piles and piles of bones, people that used to be de- alive but now they're dead. And there's this image here in this book, and the the prophet sees a vast expanse covered with dry bones, meaning that these people have been dead for years, and the elements have eaten up their flesh. There's no life left in them. But how? Are they brought to life? God speaks. He says here, Thus says the Lord to these bones, You shall live. And these bones, I mean, if you, if you when you read uh, this whole story in context, it's these bones rattling together and they're, they're, they're coming, they're reforming <coughs> these bodies and the, the, uh, the tendons and the muscles and the skin and the organs, they somehow develop in these bones, over these bones, and it becomes a human being again. And this is what the Word of Life, Word of God does. It brings life to people. Okay? Um, and finally, uh, Tommy, can I have you read First Peter again, please? Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Thank you. So again, how are we born? How are we born again? What does it say? In bold. Through the living and abiding word of God. Thank you. Through the living and abiding word of God. This is how God brings life to people. And for us, let me just uh, let you in on how we and probably most gospel-centered, Bible-believing churches um, value the word is there are a lot of churches that will they'll try to say um, we're going to bring people into our church by having these f- amazing programs or we're going to have people come to this church because we have a special speaker or these special musicians or because like I was um I, I, I used to I used to live in SoCal for a few years and there were like if you've been to SoCal you know there are tons of churches more than there are here in the Bay Area like every corner there's a church almost and um, what they need to do is they need to bring people in because there's I mean like quote unquote competition among these churches because they want to bring people in so I've seen some really crazy things people will bring in um, like I like I I was part of a church um, and I'm I was I was part of a church that would uh, like there's one time they drove motorcycles into it met at a rock and roll club um they would drive motorcycles into the uh, into the um, into the sanctuary, or whatever they called it. Um, and this was to because I was like, oh, we're going to get people's attention. And there's another time when they had uh, Mexican wrestlers uh, after service because, and that's how they promoted their service was, we had these Mexican wrestlers, and you guys can bring <laughs> your friends and family, and it's going to be great. And I'm not saying that there's anything inherently wrong in those because it's good to have fun. It's th- I mean, there are different ways of getting people's attention. But what happens when you forget that God's word is enough? If all we have in, in the other in the sanctuary is 
a Bible and a microphone and some seats. Is that not enough? God's word says, yes, that is enough because it's not the entertainment. It's not primarily the music. It's not because the building is fancy. It's because God's word is enough. So God's word is always going to be enough for IGC. If we have nothing else, if, if something happens to me and Pastor Michael and Harry and Sammy and, and uh, the leaders like Tommy and, and the community group leaders, if there is the Bible, that is enough to bring life to people. Okay? Any questions or comments before we move on to the next point? Okay. Uh, the word as a means of grace. So do you guys, uh, means, uh, have you guys heard this phrase before? Means of grace. So what, basically what means of grace is, is a means of grace is something that God gives us in order to feed our souls, in order to nourish us spiritually. So um, spiritual nourishment. Okay. So there are, these are things like um, I'm going to fast or I'm going to read the Bible on a consistent basis, or I'm going to do devotionals with my with my spouse or with my friends. Or um, here uh, we see uh, we're going to talk about baptism and, and the Lord's communion, and these are means of grace. Um, let's talk about before well before we talk about the Word of God as a means of grace. Let's talk about baptism and the Lord's communion and see how we may think about these means of grace incorrectly. Okay, so. Um, this is something that is uh, maybe new to our thinking because I know that I thought I thought about <coughs> baptism in the Lord's communion a certain way for a long, long time um, until very recently, actually. So I'm, I just have here the sacraments, which are the bapti- which are baptism and the Lord's supper. They're a sign and seal of God's covenant promise to us. They're a sign and seal of God's covenant promise to us. So what do I mean by that? Let me tell you what I don't mean by that. In the past, in the past, when you've heard people talk about baptism, what, why do people get baptized, or what is the purpose of getting baptized? What have you heard in the past? Like a public declaration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baptism as a public declaration. What else? The way that I understood it for a long time was, um, you know, when you're really serious about your faith, when you're when you're totally sure that you want to live this whole Christian life out, that's when you get baptized. Um, what, this is what, like Trish said, this is a public declaration. You're telling the whole world, this is how much I'm committed to God. I'm totally, I'm for real, guys. I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to get baptized. And that's how we think about baptism, right? Let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. So, um, baptism, um, Michael has done a series on baptism before, so um, you guys can check out our website because he he speaks about this a lot more um, uh, coherently and cogently than I do. But um, basically, uh, baptism is uh, is the equivalent of circumcision in the Old Testament. So, we have here, let me just read through these really quickly. Um, from Genesis, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. This is God talking to Abraham. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Circumcision 
is, and this is when the foreskin of a child is cut off. Circumcision, God is telling Abraham, this is not this baby's commitment to me. This is my commitment to this baby. This is my commitment to my covenant people. And if the New Testament equivalent to baptism is circum, is it, if the New, New Testament equivalent to circumcision is baptism, what should baptism mean for us? Baptism should mean that this is baptism is God's promise to us, not our promise to God. Do you see how we just think about this um, backwards sometimes? Um, in Romans 4.11, uh, Paul says, He received a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised. Circumcision, baptism, these are the signs and seals of God's commitment to us. And what do I mean by seal? Uh, in, the Old Te- in the Old Testament, or back in the ancient Near East, if kings ever pronounced, had a pronouncement on the land, or if they ever made a legal declaration... They would write it down, and they would seal it. So that if, if a king said, this is what's going to happen, like, blah, 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 blah. This is what's going to happen. And to, to show you that this, I'm committed to this, to show you that I am uh, going to ensure that this happens, I'm going to put my seal on it. So there's pretend that's a seal. I'm going to put my seal on my promise to my people it's not my people telling me, okay, king, I am committed to you, so, uh, so let, me, let me just do something to show you what's, to show you how much I'm committed to you. No, the, the, the way that God works in circumcision and in baptism is we don't get baptized to show people that, I mean, this, this is something that, that happens, um, and this is a good thing to show people that, yes, we are Christians and we're proud of it, we're, we're um, happy for it. And these are things that that are really good. That when I see pe- churches baptizing people, and people, and this is a witness to their non-believing friends and family, I love it. That is a good thing. But that's not the primary reason why we get baptized. The primary reason we get baptized is because God is telling you, "I'm baptizing you as a sign of my commitment to you. You you are not the one um, going underwater yourself. I'm the one putting you underwater. You are not the one getting wet." Uh, you're not the one choosing to get wet. I am choosing to dunk you in the water or to or, or to put water on you, as because this is my my seal, my sign. This is my uh, this is me ratifying my promise to you. So baptism is not our commitment to God. Baptism is God's commitment to us. Okay, and this is uh, a backwards way of thinking about something that we've thought about a certain way for a long time. So um, listen again to. Pastor Michael's um, messages on the Sunday School page on the IGC website. He'll talk more about this. The Lord's Supper. Um, what's our what what? How have we thought about the Lord's Supper in the past? As a remembrance. As a remembrance, right? And this is and this is um, according to the scriptures where God Jesus says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Okay, so this is something that we do to remember what God, Christ has done. <clears throat> but what, what um, I think the way that we think about it sometimes is we think, and I, I've seen this myself, is when we pass, when we pass the communion uh, cups and the communion wafers to people in the pews, I've seen people who I know are Christians, who I know have evidenced the Christian faith, um, 
sometimes they'll let it let these elements pass by them because they don't feel worthy. They they go. I've had a really bad week and I've sinned, um, so I'm not worthy to take this communion. And I don't. I, I've forgotten what Christ has done, so um, I'm going to let it pass by me. And this is the very opposite of what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is. Because the Lord's Supper is not us telling God, I've lived my life well enough so that I can deserve the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is God saying, it's exactly because you're a sinner. It's exactly because you've broken my commandments that I serve you the Lord's Supper. Um, I don't, let me read this from Matthew 26. Uh, so the oh, and also just um, there's a new there's a equivalent new New Testament equivalent to um, to these things. So the new the, the Old Testament equivalent of the Lord's Supper is the Passover meal. This is a meal when the Jews celebrated angel passing over the doors and didn't and not slaughtering their children okay so uh, matthew 26 now as they were eating jesus took bread and after blessing it it broke blessing it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins the Lord's Supper is primarily God's covenant promise to us. This is the blood of my covenant. And the new covenant says that God is doing everything for us. I'm providing a provi- There's a provision for your sins. And what is that? That's the blood of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, when you take the take the off when you take the Lord's Supper, what do you remember? You remember God's covenant to you. You don't remember your commitment to God, although that may be it. Although, commit, although, bapti- or the Lord's Supper may remind you, yes, I am so loved, I am so accepted that I'm glad to commit my life to God. I'm glad to to give everything I have to God. But primarily, the Lord's Supper is God feeding you. It's not you cooking the meal for someone else. It's not you. Um, telling God, okay, I've earned this meal. I can take this. The Lord's Supper and baptism, these are God's works. This is God's covenant promise to us. This is God's covenant seal to us saying, this is not your commitment to me. This is my commitment to you. God is committed to all of us. God is committed to our goodness. God is committed to our to our welfare. God is committed to our salvation. And no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we fail, no matter how little we understand, God is saying, I'm still committed to you. This is my promise to you. The Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, baptism, this this seal, this is me committing myself to you. It's not you committing yourself to me. And this is such good news because it means that we are always, always, always passive recipients. It's God who does all the work. And isn't that good news? This is the gospel. So when we when we see someone get baptized, this is the gospel reenacted. When we when we take the Lord's Supper, this is the gospel reenacted. There's nothing that we do to deserve it. There's we can't be committed enough to partake in these things. It's because God is committed to us enough that He does that. Isn't that good news? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Next page. Okay. So this brings us to God's word. Okay, this brings to God's word. Um, Hanson, can I have you read Hebrews 4, 12, please? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, 
Alright, I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and, the, and of spirit, of joint, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Thanks. And uh, Neem, can I have you read Romans 10, please? Power of this bridge of like the set. And it's written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what you have heard from us? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Alright, so let's 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 try to think about preaching and hearing the word of God a little bit differently, okay? Why do we come to church? Here it says the word of God is active. Here it says that the, the, the preachers bring good news to people. And faith comes when we hear the word of God. So think about how we go to church. A lot of times we go to church thinking, I'm going to go to church to, number one, sh- um, to, to show my devotion to God. I'm going to go to church to serve. I'm going to go to church to do things because this is how it should work. But along the lines of baptism and the Lord's Supper, I'm going to propose to us that the word, listening to the Word of God is... There, there's, there's a way of thinking about it that we can say, the same way that I'm a passive recipient of the Lord's Supper, the same way that I'm, I'm a passive recipient of, the, of, of, the, um, of, the, of baptism, I'm going to be a passive recipient to hearing the Word of God. So that when we go into service later, we lie down and it's God serving us. And it's God saying, this is the, the meal that I have for you. The word of God is the meal. This is my way of feeding you. So it says here, um, Hebrews 4.12. And the image that I get when we when I hear Hebrews 4.12 is, 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 if you guys are familiar with the dentist chair, like growing up, I was, I had so many cavities and I still have like a lot of cavities. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm actually not all that scared when I hear that the dentist needs to drill into my teeth. Um, I know that other people are terrified, but because I've, I have such bad oral um, hygiene, maybe, uh, I have these cavities, and I go to the dentist's office, I lay in the chair, and then I'm not doing anything. And it's this skilled, hopefully, it's a skilled dentist who knows what he's doing, and he has these razor-sharp scalpels and these tools and all I do is I sit back and he works on my teeth. And this is the image I get from Hebrews 4.12 is there's something that happens to us when we hear the word of God later on during service. We're hearing the word of God and it's God saying, open your mouth because I have something for you. Except it's not um, drilling into our teeth. It's God is, it says here, the word of God cutting into our thoughts and intentions. We're, we're laid bare. This is the image that we have here. Um we're wide open and we're saying, God, okay, do with your word what you need to do. If there's some sin in my life, use your word to cut it out. If I have bad attitudes, use your word to change my bad attitudes. Um, and Romans 10, faith comes from hearing. So how do we become, how do we, how do we develop faith? Is it by committing ourselves more to church activities? Is it by, um, <coughs> is it by, I don't know. Doing more things, I, sh- I should volunteer more. This will help make me become a more better, make me become a better Christian or more faithful. Romans ten says, faith comes by what? By hearing the word of God. So this also, the whole church service is a reenactment of the gospel because we are passive recipients. We are sitting down at the table of God and we're saying, God, I have been starved of your word. That my soul is dry. I need you to feed me. I can't feed myself. 
I need you to feed my soul. So when we go to service, it's not, what kind of faith can I muster? What kind of commitment can I make to show God I'm really serious for what he's done for me? And this is such good news too, isn't it? Because how often do we come to church with a bad attitude? It's my job to come to church. Oftentimes, I shouldn't, this makes me sound terrible, but just to be honest, oftentimes I, for when, I, when I first arrive, I sometimes have a bad attitude. And there are times when I wish, you know, I would rather be somewhere else. Um, and the good news is, even with your bad attitude, even with your unfaithfulness, God says, sit down at my table because I have something for you. I'm not going to ask anything of you. You are the, the, the seated guest and I am your server. I am the one that provides the meal for you. This is good news, isn't it? For everyone that is tired of, of maintaining a facade. Okay, um, receiving the word versus responding to the message. And this is our last point. Have you guys seen Saving Private Ryan? Uh, if you have, I think um, it's, it's a very... It's, um, it's a gruesome movie because it depicts war and all, all its glory. And um, the basic storyline, if you haven't watched it, is there is um, a guy named uh, Private Ryan, and he has other. He, I think he has like three other, three or four other um, brothers on the battlefield in World War Two, and all of them have been killed. And the government, to show mercy to the family, they say this this family, this mother, has lost every one of her sons except for one. And for his sake, for her sake, we're going to make sure that Private Ryan is safe and sound. And we're going to bring him back because this mother cannot lose all of her children. So what do they do? Uh, this this uh, platoon led by Tom Hanks, they, they go through these uh, through the World War II trenches and they go through this land and they, they find Private Ryan. And most of the group is lost for this one guy. It's because they go on this mission that they're all killed, um, they're all injured, and at the end, you see Tom, Tom Hanks, the, the the leader of the group. Um, this is after they've fought the Nazis and they're lying on the battlefield, and Tom Hanks is lying there, and he's he's wound, he's mortally wounded, and he he knows that he has just a few more minutes to live, and he has no breath, and he here's Private Ryan. This is um. Matt Damon, um, uh, Tom Hanks' character, he pulls Matt Damon in, and he says, after everyone has been killed, after Matt, Private Ryan has been saved, after he is has been delivered, he pulls him up and he says, earn this, earn this. Do you guys remember that scene? It's the most powerful scene in the movie. There's such emotion in it, and you think, oh my goodness, what a noble thing. And... Private Ryan, he says at the end of the movie, um, when he's old and gray and he has grandchildren, he remembers what Tom Hanks said to them. He said, earn this. And his whole life is a response to him earning what his, the private, what, what um, the platoon has done for him. Except, and this is great, except that this is not the gospel. The gospel is not that we earn this. And oftentimes we think, okay, because Christ has sacrificed so much for me, because God is so good to me, I need to earn it. I need to earn what God has done for me. But is that what the scriptures say? Do we earn our, our uh, earn what Christ has done for us? Um, 
let me talk about what it means to receive the word versus responding to a, pa- um, a passage message. And I only have a few more minutes, so I'm going to kind of uh, fly by this, so I, I apologize for that. But um, from the second Helvetic Confession, the preached word is the word of God. So we're saying what, that when when we preach there in the uh, in the auditorium, we're saying this is what, when the words come out of the preacher. These are the very words of God speaking to His people. Um, that means that when Pastor Michael and I, when we prepare our messages, we need to be really sure that what we're saying is true. We need to be really sure that we're communicating truthfully and transparently and honestly the words of God. So, um, the way that it works a lot of times is, or I, I don't know if you guys have grown up in this environment, but then um, I, I kind of grew up in this environment where... Um, we were someone would preach a great message, or if you got if you guys have gone to family uh, retreats or whatever or conferences, um, we get we hear this great message. Let me just kind of that thing. Great message. Okay, what does that lead to? That leads to um, I'm really enthusiastic about it. I'm really enthusiastic about Jesus. This is awesome. That leads to, I'm going to make commitments. I'm going to commit myself. Commitment. I'm going to commit myself to God. I'm going to commit myself to the church. But what happens, if you guys have noticed, there's a constant cycle. After a while, the, the, the excitement wears off. Your commitment becomes a little bit weaker. And eventually, you're doing so much, you're like, uh, I'm a little bit burnt out. Uh, I don't have the enthusiasm that I ha- used to have anymore. And what many churches do is they'll try to find the best preacher or the best musicians, and they try to create this really great worship service. This worship they call it this worship experience. And these people, they go, "Okay, this is great. I, I love this. I'm really entertained during the service." But they place their the, the value of their faith on how excited they can become on, on perhaps they put too much on the church they go uh, well it's really exciting they provide really great programming so I'm going to commit to the church I'm going to do lots of stuff but if you place yourself on it if you rely on that you're eventually going to get burnt out because you, you feel like if I don't feel committed enough if I'm not uh, enthusiastic enough then my faith is dead but what does the scripture say the scripture says Uh, as long as you hear the word of God, then that is enough for you. So the reason why so many people are burnt out is because they hear messages that tell them, you need to be more committed. You need to be more faithful. You need to do more things. And this is what makes you a good Christian. If you want to live a faithful life, make sure that you follow these steps. Make sure that you do these things that we have for you in the church. Make sure that you make a lot of promises. Make sure that you get excited enough and what does that do? It places you, it places you as the actor in this paradigm. It places you as a person who has to do stuff. But here, how do we view the Word of God? We view us as, again, just like Lord's Supper and baptism. We are the passive recipients of God's Word. So that means that the, for the preachers, for me and Pastor Michael, and if you guys ever Harry speaking, or if you have any guest, pre, guest preachers, it means that we are not advice givers. We're not. Uh, we're not explaining an instruction manual to us. We're heralds. We're, that means that we are bearers of news, and thankfully, we are bearers of good news. So I have this here. 
The preacher is a herald, not a coach or motivational speaker. Good advice requires a person with a plan. Good news requires a person with a message. And um, let me fly by these real quick from Second Corinthians. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If you want to be dead, if you want to be burnt out, you listen to people tell you what you have to do. You listen to people who say, this is what you need to do to be a good Christian. That will burn you out. That will kill you. But the spirit gives life. How does the spirit come about? How is faith brought about? By listening to the word of God. As a passive recipient, um, Romans 10, I'll let you read that. But there's, it's basically saying there are people who say, you can ascend to God. If you do enough, you can, you can reach God. But the gospel message is not that we ascend to, to God. It's not that we're good enough that we ascend to God. The gospel message is that God condescends to us. God comes down to us. And this happens in the service later. This means that God comes down to us as sinners it's not that we make ourselves good enough that we can go up to God. And that means that the, that the burden of committing ourselves or trying harder is off the table. We don't have to do that anymore. And finally, um, we come to church to be served. Uh, here are a few passages. I'm not going to read all of them, but we come to church to be served. That means that when we come to church, we don't have an agenda. Like There are some churches that will preach political messages that say, you should vote this way or you should... Um, boycott these things because this person on TV said this sort of stuff. Um, it's this is not the agenda of the church. If the church has an agenda, this they're not fulfilling their they're not being faithful to what God has called them to. The Bible says that when we come together as a family, we come around one table. And what is our commonality? It's the gospel. It's Christ, isn't it? It's not that we're Republicans or Democrats. And what one thing that I really appreciate about IGC is I am pretty like far on one end of the political political spectrum, but I know that there are people, my brothers and sisters, who are far on the other end of the political spectrum. And it's okay if I am a Democrat or Libertarian or, or Republican, I can say, you're my brother, I love you. Or if there is, if, if, uh, Besides that, if, if um, like I like a certain type, if I have a certain type of interest, and this other person hates it, I'm like, it's okay because what brings us together is not the the uh, our political agendas or our interest or our family ties. It is the gospel. It's Christ. So when we come, we gather on table to be served, and I have these here. It's just um, a few verses talking about how God serves us, and um, so. The gospel is not a is, is not um, the gospel is not a commandment to be fulfilled. It is a message to be heard, and this is why at IGC we always preach the gospel. We always say, um, "If you are messed up, welcome. If you are tired, welcome. If you have sinned a lot, welcome." We never say and. Um, God help us if we do this but we never say you should live this certain way and this will make you acceptable to God obviously and we'll talk about this more in the future there is something called sanctification in which we are changed in which we respond to God it's proper to obey God it's proper to say God I will commit myself to you there's nothing wrong with these things but if you make that the basis of your faith your faith is going to die at some point you're going to become so exhausted so the grand point of this whole lesson is this come to church to be served don't come to church to make more commitments 
God will feed you, and as He feeds you, you will be brought to life, and then that's when you can make commitments to God. And then that's when you can say, my life has been transformed, and this brings me the greatest joy to serve God. And this is the paradigm of the church. This is why IGC preaches the gospel every week. This is why we don't preach moralism. And that is the word of God. Any questions or comments? Okay, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that we can always be passive recipients. And what hope do we have if we try to rely on ourselves? But we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your word. And God, would you feed us? For those who are tired, will you bring us life? For those who are discouraged, will you bring us encouragement? For those who are um, happy, will you grant us sobriety? For those who are just beat up, will you grant us um, comfort, God? So do this with your word. We open ourselves up to you, to your word, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.